thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. To hear this live and before subscribers do, join us in Rockport, Maine on Sunday mornings at 10 for worship and before that at 845 for prayer service. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Let's pray and we'll get rolling. So, Father, thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for every person in this room. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that comes and speaks and teaches. Thank you, that Holy Spirit, that you said that you would guide us in all truth. And, Lord, I'm just asking today that the way that this, uh, these revelations, God, these simple truths, God, change my life. Lord, I'm asking, God, that you would begin to change all of our lives in the same way. God, wherever we need it. God, you're so personal and you have the ability to get down and just uh, face-to-face with us, heart-to-heart with us, and speak to us, God, exactly what we need to hear. So, Lord, I'm just asking that you would do that today. Thank you for the anointing. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for life change in this house today. Thank you, God, that, uh, God, you're just revealing your heart and your love for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, for years I have felt, you know, strongly about that God desires for his people. That's not just only us, but that's every person that's under the banner of Christianity. But I felt like God desires for every one of us to stop seeing church as a place where we attend and start seeing it as a family that we belong to. I want to say that again, that, that God doesn't want to see just when we walk through the doors of a church that this is a place we attend. He wants us to be, uh, you know, once again, to see this place as a family that we belong to. You know, I've, I have felt like God... Um, you know, wants more for us than just, you know, once again, come in the door, shake a few hands, give a few smiles, give a few warm greetings, you know, find our seat, you know, that we typically sit in every week, sing a few songs, and then, uh, you know, hear a sermon, maybe learn something, and then, uh, you know, check the religious box, and out the door we go. In other words, that there's more to this than just attending a church, or more than just uh, what I felt like when I got drugged to a church as a kid, like it was some formal gathering, right? And and so I, I really feel, once again, for years, that God desires for us that when we come to this place, that once again we take off our masks, we let down the walls, and that we would begin to uh, do what's really uncommon in, in our society in this day, and that's to actually open up our hearts and begin to let people in. So often we hide behind a computer screen or a phone, but I believe God likes face-to-face interaction, the real stuff, right? But I believe that, that when, he, when we come in, that he literally wants us to come with a mindset that we allow vulnerability and we allow, or should I say the fear of vulnerability and the fear of, you know, being authentic to really just go out the window, that there's something about that, that God wants us to have the courage to, to really give people the permission, you know, to come in and really just know us, warts and all, right? And that in us, that we would actually care about other people enough to really want to know them, warts and all. In other words, there's this mindset that it goes beyond just the, the victories of life, but we actually start getting in even to the messy spots with each other, right? That there's this spot where we go all in, we begin to do life together. I'm, I'm saying all this, trying to stir the pot here a little bit. That, that we begin to do this, and we begin to view and talk and interact with one another literally in a grace-filled, honorable way, right? That, that's so absent in our culture today. Uh, you, you know, it's so funny. Once again, I don't know why I'm saying this, but, but it's so easy to hide behind the, the computer screen and talk trash, Right? It's so easy to run your mouth on Facebook or say nasty things, but, but God wants us as his people to be honorable towards one another. In other words, there's, there's, a, there's a way in the grace of God that we can look at each other through the finished work of the cross. Yeah. 
I haven't, I haven't got that down yet, but I know it's there, right? And I know it's available. In other words, that, that among his people, that there's, a, that there's a genuine heartfelt love and affection towards one another. And it's, and it's maybe, I guess if I'm saying all of that, say this, that when we come through the doors of a church, that we don't come in with a mindset that we're guests today, but we come in like, man, this is where we belong. I'm at home. This is family. Yeah. That's what God desires for his people, amen? And, and so, li- listen, you know, Brian kind of mentioned this uh, a while ago, but, but truthfully, that, that, that shift from a tender to family member has been happening around here for years. And, and it's uh, truth is, is it was really founded on those principles. This church, when, when him and, and uh, Miss Leah started the church, in other words, they weren't here once again to check a religious box. It was about loving people, right? That's, that's the core because it's the, it's the heart of the gospel. But I, I think this, and I think we would be almost foolish not to recognize that there's an obvious grace in the atmosphere for another shift, or maybe a better word would be another surge in that area. Right? And so, you know, I just want to simply encourage all of us to continue to come into alignment with what God is saying and what he's doing, not only among us, but what he's doing in us. Because if we're truthful, for being honest today, that there's something that God is speaking almost everybody in the room of what's really next for them here. And most of the time, it's not some quote-unquote ministry opportunity. It's just really about what piece of their heart that they need to invest. Can I get an amen? It's so true, right? And so, anyways, so I just want to, once again, reiterate that, uh, listen, I'm so proud of so many of you guys for, for making that transition. Uh, obviously, uh, one, of the, one of the number one places that happens in our church is through small groups. And, uh, you know, I would just encourage you, if it's in a small group or maybe if it's just uh, on a Sunday morning connecting with people, that you begin to do that. <laughs> right? Take it off and go, man, let me just be me. And don't be afraid to, um, don't be afraid to love and be loved. Amen. So listen, as we talked the last few weeks, uh, the greatest hindrance or the greatest obstacle that we will ever face in becoming a family is what we've been talking about, that orphan heart. And, and I want to stress once again today that an orphan heart isn't something that you can cast out. It's not something that you can get counseled out. It's not something, you know, we can't lay everybody, you know, lay everybody up here and lay hands on you, expect something miraculous to happen. It can't even be preached out. The, the only way the orphan heart shifts in every one of us is simply this. It's by encountering or having an experience with the unconditional love of God. And, uh, and let me maybe just add a commercial here, is, is if you have no clue what I'm talking about right now, go back and listen to the podcast the past three weeks, and hopefully it'll bring you up to speed. And hopefully today will make sense for you. But, um, but I think this, that obviously we need to, you know, once again, how does that orphan heart get displaced? It's by encountering the love of God. But, it, but it's also this, because it has to be more than just a counter. There has to be a true revelation from the word of God in this. And, and the first part is this, and it's really, it'll pop up second here. But it's just simply knowing this, that God is a perfect loving father. To get that, that God is a perfect, loving Father. That the moment that you and I were saved, we were adopted into the family. And he not only gave us a home, but he gave us a seat at his table. And if you could take anything from the natural and swing it to the supernatural, to understand the same way that an orphan gets brought into a home and gets adopted, that they finally feel like they're at peace and they're at rest and they have security, it's the same way in the kingdom. Right? That when God adopts us into his family, the second part or second revelation is this, is that God loves us, that he accepts us, and he is pleased with us for no other reason than we're his sons and daughters. And so, you know, the, the, the fact that we talked about last week is we don't have to earn this love. We don't have to perform for it. We simply have to position ourselves to receive it. Amen? 
that we simply have to receive it. And so I, I'll say this, and you know, I remember when, when I showed up to our old church, CLC, you know, whatever, 20 years ago, I remember hearing Pastor Al talk about the love of God, and he would talk about how basically that you, uh, basically you couldn't do more to earn the love of God, and you couldn't do less to basically lose the love of God. Basically, the love of God is the love of God. It's why it's unconditional. There's no conditions on it. God just loves us. Isn't that great news? And, uh, you know, at least for me, when, when, when those revelations, when those truths, and I begin to encounter the love of God, not religion, but encounter the love of God, when those things begin to work through my heart, man, it changed everything. And so, you know, last week I, I talked a little bit about my journey in this process, about how I began to learn these things that we're talking about, and, and how God began to show me that I was living from an orphan heart, and how he began to reveal sonship to me. And I just want to simply continue down that road today. I want to continue on that journey, and it's simply because of this. It's because when, when God opened my eyes up to those two scriptures that we talked about last week, Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 2, it was really only the beginning of the whole process, okay? Shortly after, he opened up once again at Matthew 3, and he just simply says, Hey, Quentin, here's how you please me. And Luke chapter 2, here's how I want to be to you. He, he began to challenge me to take another look at this, it is why Jesus came. Why Jesus came. And, you know, for years, if someone said, hey, Pastor Quentin, why did Jesus come? I I would have rattled off, uh, you know, probably a whole, you know, similar list of this. I'll throw a few things up to you. That Jesus came to do this. Man, he came to preach the good news. Sounds good for a preacher to say that. Man, that he came to save us from our sins. And if it was a really sophisticated group, i say Jesus came to be our propitiation. Right? In other words, that he came to take our punishment, our substitute, basically the wrath of God came on him. You can look up the verse, all right? So if it was a, if it was a young, fiery group, I would say, man, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to triumph over the enemy, right? And, and if it was, a, you know, just a group that really needed to be, uh, you know, nurtured a little bit, I say Jesus came to give us abundant life. He came to give us eternal life. And if it was a group that I really just thought wasn't up to snuff, I would say this, man, Jesus came to give us an example to live by. Right, and, and then lastly, we'll throw it up there that, that Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. Kind of universal. The funny part was is when God began to challenge me in these areas, all those answers, even though they're certainly true, they no longer felt like they were sufficient enough or a good enough reason or good enough answer for what he was asking me. And, and there's something about when, when uh, what happens is when God wants to show you something new, you begin to get very unsettled, and it's like what you've always known just isn't working anymore. Right, It's almost like, if I can say it this way, there's plenty of us in here that have had multiple jobs in their life. It's, it's like, here, I'll say this. My first job was at Little Caesars Pizza. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> you know, one time, yes, one time they put me in that little Little Caesars outfit, right, the big old head, and I got attacked by a gang load of eight-year-old kung fu kids. So anyways, but, but the, skills that I, the skills that I had as, at the pizza joint, right? You know, thank you for calling Little Caesars Pizza. How may I help you? Washing dishes, cutting pizza, cooking them, whatever. Run the cash register. Those things don't really translate to what I do now. <laughs> right? I, yes. And so I'm not saying all of them don't, but what happens is, is I'm, I'm just going off the cuff here, is it, basically it's like the old revelation that I walked in for years, Jesus was saying, hey, that's not what you need to see now. There's something transition, there's something changing. And so what happened was, is I began to feel that change. And when you feel that change, you begin looking for answers. And, and my heart began to land on one verse, and it's kind of started a ripple effect. But here was the first verse. Here's what my eyes began to be opened up to. It's Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this, it says, 
Long ago, God spoke many times. In other words, why did Jesus come? Okay, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through who? Somebody say prophets. And now in these final or these last days, he has spoken to us through who? His son. Here's what I began to see, that for thousands of years, all the way through the Old Testament, God chose to speak to his people uh, through faithful men, faithful women, known as prophets or prophetesses, right? And, and simply put, the word prophet means uh, one who lends his voice to another. Really simple definition there, one who lends his voice to another. And it literally means this, that generation after generation, these men and women from all walks of life, what would happen is, is they would hear God's voice and they would simply repeat or they would simply lend their voice to declare basically what God's heart and what God's message was to his people. But if we fast forward here, you know, from the times of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, it is as if God was thinking this to himself. Now, obviously, I know this was in the master plan, so just work with me. But, but it's obviously, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like God was thinking to himself, man, my old ways of communicating with my people, man, it's just not cutting it anymore. And it's almost as if he turned to Jesus and he said this. He said, you know, for thousands of years, I've sent prophet after prophet, hoping that they would catch a glimpse of my character, my nature, my heart, my desires for them. I don't want to send them another prophet to tell them about my heart. He said this, I, I, I think I want to, I think I actually want to show them my heart. And so what did he do? I love this. This is beautiful. That he didn't send them another prophet with another prophecy. Rather, he chose to send them the very one who is the spirit or the originator of prophecy. Right? That he didn't send them a prophet who had a word from God. He sent them the very one who was or is the word of God. Right, And if you can maybe just jot this down if you're taking notes, this is really what I'm trying to say here, is that God ultimately knew that he couldn't send a prophet to do a son's job. That he knew he couldn't send a prophet to do a son's job. You see, prophets, and I think a lot of us agree, they're amazing. We appreciate them, we're thankful for them, but they can only really tell us about God's heart. But only the Son can truly show or perfectly demonstrate and express the Father's heart. So I want you to notice something in, in Hebrews one chapter, I mean, Hebrews chapter one verse three. Notice we just said, basically, in the days of old he sent prophets, but in the last days sends his Son. And then it goes to this in verse three, and this is actually from the the Passion translation. But it says, "The Son is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor." That he is the exact, get that, the, the key word, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. That's beautiful, isn't it? He is the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. See, once I began to understand this verse, once it came to life, what happened was, man, it was like the, the pieces of the puzzle began to fall in place, and I began to see scriptures that I'd never really seen in this slide before. Let me give you a few examples. John 1.18 says this. This is amplified, so it's a little different. It says, the unique son who is, the intimate, who is in the intimate presence of the father, he has declared, is what most translations say, but he has explained him Get that, that he has explained him and interpreted and revealed. Somebody say revealed. Revealed the awesome wonder of who? The Father. Get that. Let that sink in. The Father. Colossians 1.15 says this, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. 
is the visible image of the invisible God. And probably, uh, you know, lastly in this, probably one of my favorite scriptures of all was this. Is Jesus, if you imagine, he's hanging out with disciples one day, and, and he just says this in, in total Jesus fashion. He just throws out a nugget and uh, kind of watches how they respond. But he says this in John 14. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. It says, but Philip spoke up and said, Lord, show us the father. Where's he at? Show, show him to us. It says, and that, and that will be all that we need. In verse 9, this is the key part. Jesus replied, Philip, I have been with you all this time, and you still do not know who I am. How could you ask me to show you the father for anyone who has looked at me? Get that. For anyone who has looked at me, for anyone who has looked at me has seen the father. What are we saying here? For me, after seeing all those verses and others like them, I finally began to see clearly what I felt like God wanted me to, wanted me to understand. In other words, the thing that he was saying, hey, why did Jesus come? I, I actually saw this, that Jesus came, get this, please, that Jesus came to a world full of orphans <laughs> to reveal what we needed the most, the Father. Amen. He came to reveal what we need the most, right? And that's why he came, that he came to reveal, that he came to explain him. He came to explain the Father. So circling back to Hebrews 1 there, where it says that God spoke or God communicated to us through his son, it was as if this, is that he was saying, hey guys, through my son, you will finally see who I really am, that I am your father who loves you. And gets this, he says, watch my son, he'll show you my father's heart. Now, now, listen, I, I know this sounds so simple, but man, I, you know, I don't know how I missed that for so long. I really don't. I really don't know how I missed it for so long. And, uh, you know, what I begin to see and learn is this, that it takes a son, not a prophet, but a son to reveal a father. And the reason is, is because only a son really knows the true nature and the true character of his father. Amen. So let me give you three verses here. I know I'm, I'm slinging a lot at you quick here, but once I, once I begin to understand all of that, I begin to see these three verses in a completely different light. Look at John 6, 38. He says, For I have come from heaven to do the will of God, will of the Father who sent me, not to do my own will. Get that, to do the will of the one who sent me. John 12 says, I don't speak on my own authority, the Father who sent me has commanded me what to say. Get that, commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. John 5 says this, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. And whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Here's what hit home for me. For years, I have viewed those three verses simply as this, through, through the lens of Jesus being obedient and being submitted to the Father. While that's absolutely true, the main goal and the main motive behind it is what I didn't see. That the main motive and the main goal behind it was this, is that by Jesus living according to the Father's will, by only doing what he saw the Father do, by saying only what he heard the Father say, guess what happened? That he allowed us, or he that made room for us, or he was able to reveal, once again, the Father's true nature and character for all of humanity in the perfect and complete way. Yeah? You know, I'll just say this, maybe being just open and honest here. I, I realize that that revelation may seem really silly to a lot of people, but it totally changed my life. And here's why. Because when I saw, 
when I saw the life of Jesus, let me say this, what I saw was, and understanding all that, that, that the life of Jesus was completely contrary to my perception of who I thought the Father was. In other words, I saw Jesus one way, and I saw the Father another way. I saw this kind guy, and then I saw this angry guy, right? I saw this guy that was full of love, grace, and mercy, and then I saw this other guy that was kind of lacking it, right? And the reason is, if you remember last week we were talking about, it's because I spent so many years, I'm talking about like 15 years of being a Christian, unintentionally projecting my relationship with my parents onto my relationship with God, and so what happens is I saw God as one who, once again, who was unsure if he really loved me and he was really unsure if he accepted me or not. That's why I saw the Father, right? And I sit back and I saw, man, that, that God's got to be angry with me because I'm not perfect. Man, he, he's got to be impatient with me because I don't always get it right. And, uh, man, he certainly doesn't have a lot of grace and mercy because, I, because certainly he was too quick to punish me when I messed up. The only problem was is I didn't see any of that in Jesus, Right? I didn't see it in Jesus. And so, so what I'm trying to say is this, is that everything that I loved, everything that I admired about Jesus, like his kindness, his gentleness, how he treated people, uh, his servant's heart, right, his giving heart. Uh, actually, what I saw was, was, was all that stuff that I admired about him was actually a perfect description of who the Father is. It was his nature on display. It was his character on display. And guess what happened? All of my fears began to be erased. All of that hardness that I was just, oh, my gosh, all that striving, gone. You know, if I could put it plainly, it was this. Is I spent years and years and years. I felt like because I had the, you know, the Bible, I go, okay, that's who Jesus is. But, but really, who's the Father? And so what happened was is I no longer questioned, I no longer wondered, I no longer doubted who the Father was. Because now, through the revelation, I can look at the life of Jesus and it answered all that for me. Right? It, it, didn't leave me, it didn't leave me wondering anymore. So I'll say this is, you know, Bible knowledge is great. Theology is great. But if it doesn't apply to your life, I say this with all reverence and fear, it's useless. Okay? And, and so what happened was is it wasn't just some head knowledge that was coming. Because I began to see this. I began to actually see the Father being revealed in every word that Jesus ever spoke. I, I, I saw it in every teaching that he ever taught. I saw the heart of the Father. Literally every action that Jesus ever did. If it was an interaction with a woman at the well. If it was any, you know, name the miracle. Or if it was an act of kindness. I saw the Father. And so what happened was is here's how that began to translate for me. Is that I began to think, man, if, watch this, that if kids weren't afraid to crawl up in Jesus' lap, then why should I be afraid to come before the Father in prayer? I, you know, I begin to see this, that if Jesus fed the multitude from a few fish and a few loaves of bread, then why would I ever worry if the Father was going to take care of me? That if Jesus loved the unlovable, like the tax collectors, talking about the outcasts, they were the, they were the bottom of the rung. If he loved lepers who nobody wanted to even touch, they, they, they sent them off somewhere. If he loved prostitutes, then why would I ever doubt that the Father really loved me? That literally said back, if Jesus showed compassion to a woman who was caught in the dead act of adultery, right, th- then why would I ever doubt, what, that he would extend grace and mercy to me when I sinned? Let's not say messed up. Let's send. 
right? When I sinned, when I blew it big time, right? If Jesus showed patience to his disciples, then why wouldn't I think that meant that he would extend patience to me as I grew in my faith? Then for so many years, I, I, I literally, I was, I was, I, I actually had a pastor tell me one time, he said, Quentin, you're harder on yourself than anybody I've ever met. And the reason is why? Because I had to perform, right? And so I didn't have a lot of patience when, uh, when it came to basically me, me in the process, I always wanted to be, you know, it was almost like a, a kid that's in, uh, you know, I don't know, third grade math, and he's wanting to be in college trigonometry, right? I expected that of me. And, and you know, really when to think about the first characteristic of love that the Bible mentions in, in chapter 13 of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, said love is patient. And God's love, so that means God is patient, Right? So listen, I literally thought, man, that if Jesus restored the honor to a man like blind Bartimaeus, then why wouldn't the Father value and treasure me? That if Jesus gave the disciples authority and power, then why wouldn't he? Let, let, me, let me even add this. If he gave the, that group of knuckleheads authority and power, then why wouldn't he anoint me to do what he called me to do? Right? Because those guys, man, you're talking about somebody that couldn't. Let me just throw this out there to you, all right? Just, it's free, Right? That here they are that, that he sends them out two by two, right? And they come back, and what did they do? They begin comparing stories, and they begin to automatically talk about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Okay? The other thing they do, they come back. It's awesome. What did John and James do? Those people didn't receive the gospel. Let us call down fire from heaven and get them. They went from operating by the power of the Spirit to a murderous spirit. <laughs> right? You with me? So you're talking about a group of guys that just didn't get it all the time? And we're hard on ourselves, right? And yet he was patient with them. That helps me. You know, li- listen, I, I don't know about you, and I don't know about you back there, but listen, every year I've been a Christian, I've said this to you before, but I literally look back and go, wow, you were stupid. <laughs> every year. Because I ultimately do something stupid throughout the year. I just go, why did you do that, right? Anyways, it's kind of comical, but it is what it is. It shows growth. So, so here's kind of the point. Here's kind of what I'm wanting us to see. I, I, I'm wanting us to begin to see that here's, here's, here's the Father. Yeah. Really that simple. <clears throat> and when you begin to see the Father for who he really is through the lens of seeing Jesus, guess what? At least for me, it completely changed everything. I know I've said that, but it changed the way I saw myself, first and foremost, that, that I literally came from someone who didn't value himself a whole lot to see myself, well, I'm valued in heaven. Man, man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm actually worthy, <laughs> right? I mean, that I have worth. That's what worthy means. I have worth, right? So often in church, uh, you know, the church world teaches you that you're just some, uh, you know, I don't know, just some God-awful sinner that God has to put up with, and, uh, and you don't see yourself as being a as being person of value. That's so not God's heart. You, you know, let me maybe say this. Uh, lift your hand if you're a parent in the room. Lift your hand if you're a parent in the room. I'll try not to speak country. <laughs> Have you ever looked at your kids and said, you are so unworthy to be my kid? So why do we think the best dad would do that to us? Yeah? And so, so, so anyways, I, I think this it changed the way, and I'm, I'm trying to help some of us out here. I'm trying to help myself out here. Is, is it changed the way, that revelation changed the way that I approached and interacted with God big time. Yeah. And, and especially in this, especially in the prayer closet. Because, uh, you, you know, life is life, and some days we get to pray as much as we want, and some days we don't. 
Some days we don't pray at all. And I spent years of my Christian life coming before God and spending, you know, let's say I had a bad Thursday and I come Friday and I go, man, I, you know, I spend the first 30 minutes just somehow, you know, groveling before him, you know, because I know he's just angry and disappointed in me. And what I begin to see is this, it's like, um, I'll say this, I got this little kid named Jude, okay? He's my number three, Right. When Jude comes rolling in the room and he's grinning from ear to ear and he's just pumped like yesterday I was studying and, and he comes running in the room and he always comes, he tries to hide at the end of the bed and try to sneak around like he's going to scare me. And, but but do, do you think I said, go away? I stopped doing what I was doing. Come here, son. Right? And it's this, it is I delight being with my kid. And that's what I began to see that, you know, even if I had a bad Thursday on Friday, guess what the father was? He was just delighted to hang out with me. Am I making sense? You know, the the, the verse that kind of brought this home was simply this. It's the Bible says that he delights in mercy. That he delights in mercy. Why does God delight in mercy? Because he values our relationship more than anything. All right? It changed this. It changed the way I read the Bible. Once again, I interpreted everything completely different because now when I read the Bible, I just didn't look for the parts where God was dropping the hammer. I began to look through the eyes of a loving father. Uh, It changed, obviously, like I said before, the way I looked at the life of Jesus. It changed the way I lived my life. And here's the reason it changed the way I lived my life. Because of all of that stuff, it basically breaks fear off of you. And you begin to have a peace and a confidence with the Father. At least I did like I never had before. And and so instead of serving God, like I said last week, from this performance, uh, you know, fear-driven, fear-based mentality, I began to live and and, and just love God from a love-based relationship. That's it. Right? It's so simple. That man that I literally saw, man, that I'm just, uh, I'm just his son. I know that's so simple, but what freedom it brings. Amen? It brings freedom. And so, you know, if I kind of add a few thoughts and we'll be done here, it is this, and you can kind of jot this down. But when Jesus came, Jesus not only uh, came to reveal the Father, but he came to restore true fatherhood. The reason I say that is because the Bible gives, talks about two fathers, obviously God, and the second one is Satan. The Bible refers to him as the father of lies. And, and so often in our lives, guess what? Uh, the reason things get distorted is because our parents operated more from the father of lies ways of parenting than they did the, the perfect loving father. Right, And so what happens is when Jesus came, he came to restore and to define and redeem and show here's what it's really like. And so, you know, it's kind of, I, I remember I got a good friend, his name's Ben, and um, I won't go all into Ben's story, but, but Ben ended up, you've heard us mention Pat a few times, that's actually his uncle, and he ended up living with him. His dad, Ben's dad was a minister, things didn't go well, but... Um, a few years ago, Ben had to fly out to Colorado, uh, Colorado Springs, and he had to do his dad's funeral. And, and basically, what somebody told him, he said, Ben, you have to understand all the good parts of your dad, that's a reflection of the father. All those spots that aren't real good, that's a reflection of the father of lies. And so we have to discern the difference and, and just recognize when we look back at our parents that, man, here's the good qualities that, that, that uh, where they did reflect the love of God to us. And here's the parts, man, there's just got to be grace extended. Amen. So the second piece of this is if, 
if Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father, that means he also came to reveal true sonship. And we'll talk about that next week, okay? True sonship. But let me give you maybe some closing, closing thoughts here. That's what I want to challenge you with today. I really want to challenge you to ask yourself today, does my, does my view of Jesus and my view of the Father, do they really match up? Are they really the same? And, you know, I'm not looking for you necessarily to answer that right now, but I do want you to think about that. Do they really match up? Because if they don't match up, that means I have an incorrect view of the Father. Okay? And, and, and secondly, I want to ask you today, you, you know, here we are going into Christmas season, and, and, you know, we know a lot of places are going to preach, and a lot of people are going to focus on that Jesus came to, to, you know, to save us from the sins, right? Save us from our sins, sin of the world. And I just want to challenge you this. Is your, is your view of Jesus just simply as your Savior? Does it, does it begin and end there? The reason I stress that is because if, if your view of Jesus stops at him just simply being your Savior, um, then that means basically you'll never see yourself anything more than just a sinner. And, and the reason is, is because when we begin to see Jesus as the Son of God... Right, And he said that about himself many, many times. I'm the son of God. I'm the son of man. He always referred to himself as a son. He didn't say, I'm a sinner. He didn't say, I'm, tr- you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trash. He always referred to himself as, as one who was valued and loved. And so if, if we don't see that in him, how will we ever see ourselves as joint heirs with Christ? Right? So if I view myself as some, some unworthy sinner, then I'll never take my rightful place in the kingdom. Amen? And then, then lastly, it's just simply this. I, I just want to maybe uh, express that and just ask you, maybe we'll leave it that way. Do, do you see your relationship with God, you know, what's that based off of? Is he the master and you're the servant? Is he the Lord and you're the slave? Is he, what, what, you know, kind of what is that? Or is it simply father, son, father, daughter? Do you see yourself in a parenting relationship with the Lord? And what happens is, is when you begin to see yourself like that, th- then you begin to look at verses like Hebrews 12 where it says he disciplines those he loves. You see it a lot different. Yeah. Right? And you begin to interpret all the things from the Scripture way different. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to do this. Bill, come on up. I wasn't sure if I was going to do this, but come on up. Uh, he wanted to share something with you guys today. And, and listen, part of the reason I do this, just so you guys know, is because I understand that I have an example here to give. And we can't say we're family, 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 and only one guy gets to ever speak. Right? If we're a family, then there's more than one of us that have something to say. So, so but at the beginning of service, he asked me, he said, uh, hey, I got something I'd like to share if I have an opportunity, but it's totally up to you. No pressure. Love that, right? So I'm going to let him share. Then I'm just going to ask you to pray for us, and we'll be done. What a group. I love you. The, uh, the word we heard last week and this week, I think, is so vital to our health. And I, uh, I just wanted to encourage everybody to really hang out there for a while. In fact, I prayed over Quentin that God would give him a thousand different ways of sharing the same message. So the truth is, that's the only message that sets us free. You see, we can't do it on our own, and it is an issue of love. 
You know, we're all born into this crooked and perverse generation where you can't turn on the TV, you can't watch a movie without seeing the antithesis of conditional love. In fact, you can't listen to the news now and believe it. Everybody's putting a spin toward the worst interpretation, and that's what we're used to. That, that's, that's the world we live in. I was telling Pastor Quentin that I had to let Jesus wash my feet after listening to the message last week. And no matter how long we've been in the Lord, we need to let Jesus wash our feet because the world has an effect on us, period. And the one thing I believe that sets us free is somehow connecting with that unconditional, just uncompromising love of God. One verse this morning that we sang was about who we are. Who we are. It says, I'm loved by God. That's who I am. In fact, First John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we would be called his kids. And then it goes on and says that let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves God is born of God and knows God and he who does not love does not know God for God is love. He is love. And uh, Anyway, I just wanted to tell you all, I am so thankful that God has put me into this family. I've told uh, Pastor Quentin and Jen that a number of times. I'll probably keep telling them that. And we all need to be reminded of what's being shared. You know, Paul said, when I came into your midst, I determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified, which is all about what we've been hearing. So I'm going to pray. Father, I just thank you so much that you are who you are and that you're showing us who you are. And I, I pray, God, that that spirit of wisdom and revelation to just rest upon each and every one of us, that we would grow in the stature of Jesus and into a greater depth of understanding that love that you have for us because it's the only thing that empowers us to be different. It's the only thing that changes our heart is somehow connecting with your heart. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.